Taiwan reported five local COVID cases on Tuesday, as well as its first Omicron-related death. The patient who died was a woman in her 80s who suffered from kidney disease. Although her health had stabilized when she was in isolation, it deteriorated quickly when she developed aspiration pneumonia and sepsis. She was declared dead on February 4th. Let's hear from the CECC. We also report one COVID death, a Taiwanese woman in her 80s who had other chronic diseases. Her case number is 17368. She had been a passenger on a taxi whose driver was infected in a cluster at a social club in Taoyuan. She was hospitalized and isolated on January 10th and was diagnosed with COVID on January 19th when her isolation period was up. She remained in treatment in isolation and passed away on February 4th. During a first and second autopsy, the cause of death was found to not be COVID. But experts are still categorizing her death as a COVID death because except for special cases, all people who die within 60 days after infection are considered COVID-19 deaths. Of the five local COVID cases reported on Tuesday, two are employees of ASCII Computer Corporation. They were both in isolation when tested positive. Another case is a security guard at the Taoyuan International Airport who had previously tested negative in two PCR tests and five rapid tests. Health officials are investigating how he picked up the virus and whether or not it was transmitted by an international arrival. With Omicron spread slowing, Taipei has eased its local COVID ordinances. On Tuesday, the city lifted its ban on food and drink in movie theaters. It also gave the green light to school field trips and community programs for older adults. We dropped in at a local community center where seniors made crafts and shared a meal, all with COVID precautions in place. These older adults are building lanterns shaped like tigers. Just in time for Lantern Festival, Taipei has eased its local COVID ordinances, including restrictions on activities for seniors. These friends are happy to be together again after two weeks. I am 96 years old. I look forward to coming over to the borough warden's office every day. This is my happiest time. Two or three of us will eat together. It's better this way. When you come here, you can get your body moving a bit and talk to your friends. At noon, they break from their activities to eat. On Tuesday, this Taipei community center reopened for class. Older adults can pull off their face masks to share a meal, but they need to be fully vaccinated for COVID. We have 47 people eating together. If we're talking people who have only had one dose, there are probably around 20 people. We prepare a bento box for them to take away. Turning now to the cinema, movie theaters once again permit eating and drinking, so popcorn is back on the menu. Not only that, Taipei schools can once more take students on field trips and graduation trips, but only secondary schools can arrange trips out of the city. Because lower-level students can't yet be vaccinated, they'll have to stick close to home for now. Basically, only fully vaccinated students will be allowed to go. Students who are not will need to show a rapid test taken within three days of departure or a PCR test. With the epidemic easing, Taipei is taking major steps to returning to normal life.
Paraguay has granted emergency use authorization to the Medigen COVID vaccine. Its clinical trials, the Taiwan-made vaccine, generated 3.7 times as many neutralizing antibodies as AstraZeneca. Medigen's vaccine is still going through phase 3 testing under a World Health Organization program with full results expected in late March. Let's hear from Medigen. The unblinded data from Paraguay will be provided to other countries so that other drug regulators and organizations can assess the results. We hope that through this data, the vaccine will obtain international certification and market access. We want Medigen to go from being just a made in Taiwan vaccine to becoming an international brand. Data for Medigen's phase 3 trials in Paraguay was provided by three independent laboratories. The results showed that subjects given Medigen had a neutralizing antibody level of 425.2. That's 3.7 times the level elicited by AstraZeneca, which rated 116.3. The results of Paraguay's phase 3 study will be sent to drug safety authorities in other countries for potential certification. In the initial stage, Medigen will mainly target countries in Central and South America. When the basketball becomes unusable due to wear, it cannot be recycled. A majority of basketballs end their life cycle in a landfill. A Taiwanese design startup hopes to give these balls a second life by upcycling balls into trendy accessories. FTB reporter Stephanie Yang takes us in for a look. Do you have any old basketballs at home? This startup transforms discarded balls into handmade products. She slowly cuts open the basketball. This is Jamie Lin, one of the founders of this startup. Lin and her friends decided to launch a startup four years ago. They use discarded basketballs in innovative ways, creating products such as plant pots, keychains, handbags, and wallets. Our background is in industrial design, and in the beginning, we wanted to design things that were related to environmental protection. It just so happened that we all like playing basketball, so balls became our main source of materials. Our products are very different from other eco-friendly brands on the market. Ours are sportier, and the style is a little bit edgier. The materials come from sports waste collected from campuses across Taiwan. The team currently partners with 30 schools nationwide. Once the balls are collected from the schools, they are then deconstructed and repurposed, with their materials going into the designs of various accessories. In our experience, a school throws away an average of 40 to 50 balls per year. Since we started four years ago, we have collected nearly 2,000 balls. The most difficult thing is that the materials are recycled, so their texture and thickness are not as consistent as those of brand new materials. It requires manual processing at the front end, and the cleaning process is quite cumbersome. Lin says that when a basketball becomes unusable due to wear, it cannot be recycled through conventional processes. A majority of basketballs end their life cycle in a landfill. Therefore, Lin and her team wanted to give these basketballs a second life. This basketball is considered general waste, and it actually cannot be recycled. We only discovered this when we started out. In fact, the schools discard a lot of balls each semester, so we decided to cooperate with them. We would go to each school and ask if we could collect materials. After collecting the materials from the school, we would use them as a new medium. 
After some processing, we make accessories. I want to convey to everyone that environmental protection and recycling are not that hard to do. It can actually be an easy and alluring process. Emphasizing sustainability at the heart of their business, the team also holds DIY courses to raise awareness about sustainable design. They welcome anyone with old sports balls to donate them to be reused. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Zhong Shuhui in Taipei. U.S.-based think tank the Heritage Foundation has released its annual index of economic freedom. In the 2022 edition, Taiwan was rated a free economy for the first time in the ranking's 28 history. Taiwan's economic freedom was rated 8th in the world and 3rd in the Asia-Pacific. Its economic freedom score went up 1.5 points compared to last year. Economic freedom is defined as the ability to work, produce, consume, and invest as one pleases. The Heritage Foundation ranked 184 countries in the world. South Korea placed 19th and was rated mostly free. Japan ranked 35th and was rated moderately free. China placed 158th out of 184 countries, coming in as one of the least free economies in the world. Taiwan says that a Chinese civil aircraft flew near one of its offshore islands earlier this month. The Ministry of National Defense announced that on February 5th, a Chinese 112 turboprop approached Dongying Island but did not enter Taiwan airspace. According to a retired Air Force officer, China was using the incident to test the reactions of Taiwan's military. A lawmaker says the Defense Ministry should strengthen its protocols against China to clamp down on provocative incidents. On February 5th at Lianjiang County's Dongying Island, residents captured photos of an unidentified aircraft flying nearby. At the time, experts speculated that it was a Chinese Y-12 turboprop utility aircraft. Ten days later, the defense ministry confirmed the model. A Chinese aircraft did indeed approach that day. As for the model, we've made a judgment, and it is that the plane was a civilian Y-12 aircraft. Its path, as I said before, disclosing that would affect our ability to detect and trace aircraft. However, it can be said that this aircraft did not violate any key zones. The Defense Ministry confirmed that the plane came from China, but that it was a civilian aircraft that did not enter Taiwan's airspace. It denied rumors that records of the aircraft's entry were deleted due to human error. Sources say that's why the Air Force was not the first to announce the entry. This is all misinformation. The Air Force followed protocol and took the appropriate measures in response to the aircraft. It made a judgment on the aircraft model. As for what this aircraft was being used for, we have made a judgment internally, and it will serve as the basis of our follow-up actions. Put together all the missile radars, marine radars, and ground-based radars. Add in the radars of the Civil Aeronautics Administration, and there are probably hundreds of radars. The picture is very clear. There are hundreds of eyes on that thing, so there should be no mistake. China is searching for a weak link in air defense. It's testing our responses to see what our protocols are and to see our ability to respond. We need to be prepared to face this challenge. Our air defense must be watertight to prevent the enemy from slicing the salami and turning a quantitative change into a qualitative one. Retired Air Force officer Zhang Yanting said the PLA was closely monitoring Taiwan's responses to provocation. 
For years now, Taiwan's military has driven off Chinese planes that entered its air defense identification zone. Yet in this month's incident, the military took a softer, low-key approach to the Chinese plane. Remarking on the change, one lawmaker said the military is walking a fine line to avoid open conflict. They fear making a miscalculation that could spark an altercation. Look at Ukraine and Russia. They also wish to maintain peace. There are many countries that will stand on the sidelines and add fuel to the fire. But in the end, we are the ones who will get hurt. We need to make appropriate adjustments and develop a new model of engagement to address these incidents that are continuously created by the CCP. As tensions rise along the Ukraine-Russia border, China is making moves to test Taiwan and the U.S. Taiwan lawmakers called on the military to update its protocols to keep China from harassing the country. The head of Taiwan's legislative yuan plans to visit the Czech Republic this summer when the legislature will be in recess. Speaking to media on Tuesday, legislative speaker Yoshi Kun said he received an invitation in 2020 when Czech Senate President Milos Vistrichol was visiting Taiwan. He said that with the pandemic stabilizing overseas, it's now possible to arrange a trip for this year. To mark Lantern Festival, Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun strikes a pose with a tiger lantern at a reception for South Korea's representative in Taiwan. Even before the start of the new legislative session, Yo is meeting and greeting and advancing diplomacy. He's also set to visit the Czech Republic during this summer's legislative recess. On September 1, 2020, Czech Speaker Vistri Chil came here to give a speech. While he was in Taiwan, he extended an invitation. Last year, due to the pandemic, there was no opportunity to go. This year, it looks like everybody has already been vaccinated, so the situation is better. He has sent letters several times during this period, so this year will be sure to go. Ahead of Yo's 12-day trip, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has notified its various foreign missions of his arrival. This will be Yo's first foreign trip as a legislative speaker, although he's received plenty of foreign delegations. Last October, he welcomed a delegation led by Senator Alain Richard, chairman of the French Senate's Taiwan Friendship Group. Last November, he received lawmakers from the Baltic states of Estonia, Lithuania and Latvia. Later this month, he'll welcome British MPs. On Tuesday, Yo was asked if he'd consider a reciprocal visit to any of those countries. Basically, we have received a very considered invitation from Czech speaker Vistrichil. Before making a visit to any country, there are so many factors to consider. The other country needs to weigh factors of their own situation. For instance, if there's an upcoming election, then a visit is probably off the table. The whole thing must be planned in great detail. Right now, there are no plans yet, only ideas. At the least, I hope to make a reciprocal visit to the Czech Republic. Yo said that visits could not be planned unilaterally and depended on the situation of the host country. As for his visit to the Czech Republic, he said that the details will be finalized in the coming months. Last year, a global shortage of semiconductor chips hit electronics. Now the pandemic is gradually receding, the production of chips is back on track. Many smartphone brands are now launching new models to win back customers who drifted away. But certain types of chips are still in short supply. Experts say the smartphone market could be unpredictable for another few years. Promotions for a new smartphone launch. 
Last year, the global microchip shortage led to a bottleneck of new consumer electronics. Now the supply of chips for smartphones is flowing again, new models are hitting the market at lower prices. It will greatly stabilize the whole supply situation. This generation of phones is priced lower than the previous generation, not higher. That's to satisfy the broad consumer demand. The real market situation and economy in 2021 was not that great. According to third-party research data, the whole market contracted. This expert says that although CPU supply is stable, production of 200mm wafers is not, causing shortages for both the power management ICs used in phones and application processors such as analog chips. While production capacity for 200mm wafers is rather limited, the production capacity for power management ICs is indeed impacted. That affects the entire supply capacity for phone chips and phones. Some manufacturers launch one or two phones in the same year. Because of the chip shortage, the production quantity will be smaller, but there will be more product lines. The smartphone market has been heavily hit by the pandemic, throwing up lots of unexpected quirks, such as brands releasing multiple model numbers in the same year. For the biggest brand names with lots of cash, it's not a problem. But rising costs are much harder to handle for small companies. They may have to hike prices, jeopardizing the low prices that traditionally are the secret weapon of small brands. More instability in the market looks inevitable. A new immersive art exhibition is underway in Taipei, featuring over 200 classic artworks by artists of the Renaissance period. The exhibition was co-curated by international teams from Taiwan, Italy and America. It showcases artworks by Italian masters using modern technology such as augmented reality. Our reporter Stephanie Yang takes us in for a look. This room combines art and music to create a 540 degrees immersive experience. This room features more than 100 paintings by five artists from the Renaissance period. Da Vinci, Raphael, Michelangelo, Botticelli, and Caravaggio's paintings were made into films which are projected on five meter tall walls and the floor. Music plays in the background to create a 540-degree immersive experience. The immersive exhibition we created this time is different from past exhibitions. We made an area of 20 by 20 meters using a 5-meter tall wall in the ground to form a 540-degree effect, combining light and shadow with the music. This time, all the music is based on the music of the Renaissance. We also invited an Italian music master to recreate the music. The immersive exhibition was co-curated by international teams from Taiwan, Italy and America. It features artworks by Italian masters through modern technology such as artificial intelligence and augmented reality. Through AR, visitors can snap a photo with Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. The audience can view an animated painting of the Cathedral of St. Mary of the Flower projected on a circular dome. We built the first balloon dome in Taiwan. Its height is 9 meters. 
The mural of the Cathedral of St. Mary of the Flower is represented using animation. Through a performance using modern technology, you get the ultimate sound and light effect, all the details. Other iconic paintings on display include Da Vinci's The Last Supper and Mona Lisa, Michelangelo's Creation of Adam, Botticelli's Birth of Venus, and more. The exhibition will be held until May 2nd, 2022 in Taipei. TV reporter Stephanie Yang and Lu Bochong in Taipei. The price of grain is under pressure. Since January, the price of soybeans has risen by 20% due to poor yields in South America. Analysts say that grains could rise even further if conflict erupts along the Ukraine-Russia border. Bags of dried soybeans are placed on the racks. These bags aren't large, but each costs about the same as a carton of eggs, and their price could soon soar further. This grain vendor says that wholesale prices were already raised on February 1st, but they could rise again as tensions escalate between Russia and Ukraine and impact global grain markets. War could disrupt supplies of agricultural products, and analysts see soybean, corn and wheat continuing their upward trend. Since January, the price of soybeans has gone up by 20 percent. Corn has gone up by 10 percent and wheat by 5.6. A sudden rise in prices would absolutely be a problem. Just think about it. If the price of soybeans goes up, other things would go up as well. Or do you think the people who make tofu and soy milk would absorb the extra cost themselves? Chickens also eat corn-based feed, and we buy chicken meat, don't we? And we eat eggs, don't we? Almost every month, we receive notices about prices going up. They keep rising and rising. Perhaps the Russia-Ukraine conflict will cause prices to go up again. Who knows how much the rise will be? Price spikes have sent shockwaves across the distribution chain, from importers to traders, wholesalers and retailers. For the food sector and the grain industry, the pressure is on. This rise has been driven by money supply issues and logistics congestion. A geopolitical conflict between Russia and Ukraine could cause prices to continue skyrocketing. Price rises aren't only affecting soybean, wheat and corn. Meats, bean-based products, and even oil are moving higher. Brent crude has soared to 94 U.S. dollars per barrel, slowly approaching the 100 U.S. dollar mark. With an inflationary surge taking hold worldwide, a return to pre-pandemic prices seems unlikely.